RadioInfluence.com. Are you horrified by all that's going wrong in our nation and unsure just who's orchestrating it? International award-winning journalist Alex Newman is here to set straight the record on critical issues on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available on RadioInfluence.com or your favorite podcast platform. A great way to show your support is by subscribing to this podcast, give it a rating, and leave a review. And be sure to tell your friends about the broadcast. What do you believe is the number one problem confronting our faltering nation? The ongoing attempted communist takeover? Race issues? Inflation? Globalism? The systematic stripping of our constitutional rights? The breakdown in morality and of the family structure? The removal of God from our schools, workplace, and government? Fallacies behind the virus and the vaccine? I could go on and on and on and on. Here a problem, there a problem, everywhere a problem, problem. My guest, Alex Newman, can dissect all of these issues, but he doesn't consider them the number one threat today. You want to know what it is? Well, let's get into it. He's an award-winning international journalist educator, author, speaker, investor, and consultant who seeks to glorify God in everything he does. Amen. I love that. He's the senior editor and foreign correspondent for the New America magazine. We'll get into that. The president of Liberty Sentinel Media, Inc. He's written for the Epoch Times, Freedom Project Media, and so many other publications. His work has been repeatedly highlighted by Breitbart, Drugs, Fox News, you name it. He's written or co-written several books dealing with exposing the deep state, world federalist movement, former President Barack Obama, and crimes of the educators. He's been on every TV show imaginable, it seems, hundreds of them, like on Newsmax, OAN, Dove, Christian Television, Sun Life Broadcasting, Radio shows including Michael Savage, Tommy Lahren, Alex Jones, Fox News, and The Blaze. He hosts his own radio show, The Sentinel Report. We'll talk about that. Altogether, he reaches millions of people yearly with his message of faith, family, and freedom. I'm very happy to bring to the show Mr. Alex Newman. And if I went any further, Alex, I could have kept going, but what would have ended up happening? You would have said, hi, everybody. Good night. So... <laughs> That's about it. Man, you've been there, done that, and wow. So thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Uh, the pleasure's mine. First question should be the obvious one because you're just so deep into constitutionalism and everything that's going on in this country that should be and shouldn't be going on. So the first question is, what do you consider the number one problems we face today as Americans and what can we do about it? Yeah, great question. And that's, uh, you know, it, 
you would think that'd be hard to answer because there are so many problems facing our country right now. Uh, we're losing our freedoms. It's just a, it's an atrocity what's going on. But if I had to choose one, I would say it is probably the atrocity that is the government school system, uh, because I think that is truly at the root of all the other problems. You know, why is America turning away from God? Why is America turning against God? Uh, why is America uh, ready to self-destruct? Why are Americans giving up their freedom? Why uh, do Americans tolerate the slaughter of unborn babies, right? All of these uh, horrific problems that are plaguing our country can be explained through the brainwashing and the indoctrination that's taking place in our public school system. And so that's why I say that's probably the key problem, because that's at the root of all of the other problems that we're dealing with. And if we don't get this one under control, if we don't um, make sure that our children get a reasonable education where they actually learn how to think, where they learn um, truth, where they learn how to reason, um, we're going to lose all the other battles we're facing. And so that's why I say that's probably the most significant problem. Yeah, I, I hear you, Alex. And like, we're supposed to be a nation that's intellectually on, on the ball, right? Due to our quote unquote, higher educational system. However, <laughs> whether they know it or not, far too many parents are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars turning out their kids into good little Marxists or bad little Marxists, as we would say it. Why has our educational system become such a dismal failure as we the people would see it? And what do we need to do to correct that? Or can it be corrected? Has it gone too far? Well, I, I think, you know, with the, the schools, it, we need to really start thinking outside of the box. You know, we, um, we unfortunately, for the last hundred years have become accustomed to this idea that government should be educating our children. And I think that's strike one, right? Where, where did anyone get the idea that the government should educate our children? If you track this idea back far enough in time, eventually you end up at Plato. And, uh, you know, despite uh, people who like to try to sound sophisticated and think, oh, Plato, what a brilliant philosopher, the guy was a raging totalitarian. He wanted uh, the government to raise children. He wanted uh, philosopher kings to lord it over us. This guy was uh, a, a totalitarian maniac. And so I don't think we should be getting our ideas on education from a totalitarian maniac. Um, you fast forward to, um, you know, to the, to the church era, the last 2000 years, and until the last hundred years, uh, parents and the church have been primarily responsible for education with virtually no role at all for government. And so I think it, rather than thinking about how do we reform the system, we need to be thinking about how do we build a new non-system. Uh, before government education came into being, uh, Americans were the most highly educated people in human history on this planet, um, in, without even a close second. We had almost universal literacy, especially across the northern states. Um, we had uh, just incredible depth of uh, knowledge when it comes to history. We had just regular people knew how to translate, uh, you know, Greek and Latin, and they knew Hebrew. And I mean, just incredible knowledge that has been lost. And uh, the reason for that is that we let the government take over education. And so when people say, well, how do you reform your cancer? They, well, I don't want to reform my cancer. I want to get rid of my cancer. Thank you there very you much. I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous question. So how do we reform uh, the, the toxic system that is the government education system? Well, you don't reform it. You set up new uh, alternatives. Like we need a, a mass exodus, I think, into uh, homeschooling, which I think is the gold standard. Also Christian schools, private schools, there's a lot of options out there. And I think just introducing that element of competition, just getting back to, to common sense, 
would really help a lot. I mean, we, we look at communist systems, Cuba and North Korea, Soviet Union, uh, and nobody's surprised when people starve to death because we know that central planning doesn't work. And yet we say, well, but, you know, maybe central planning in the education system, that'll be different. Um, so I think we really need to be thinking outside the box here. Rather than thinking about how to fix the system, we need to be thinking about how to uh, exit the system and, and build something new. Great answer, Alex. And uh, people that have listened to the show the two years I've been on, first live and then as a podcast, I always talk about the book from uh, W. Cleon Skousen, The Naked Communist from 1958, in which he talked about how the communists planned to take over you know, this country. And a, a big part of it was to get control of the school system and the teachers associations, also get control the evangelical church get control of Hollywood, motion pictures, the newspapers and everything. But the school system was a big part of this and getting control of the teachers union and everything. Are we are we going to blame this on the communists? Is this about where we have where we are now, this rabbit hole we're down? Is this the product of communist influence? Well, in, in many ways it is, yes, I mean, including you know what we've just been talking about, the government school system. The ideas for this really came from the communist movement. Uh, it wasn't Christians, it wasn't conservatives, it wasn't liberty-loving Americans who said, hey, let's let the government educate our children. Um, the, the first uh, American intellectual, so-called, we can find that, that proposed this idea was a guy by the name of Robert Owen, and uh, he was a communist in the truest sense of the term. In fact, he believed so fervently in communism that he set up a commune in Indiana where they got rid of private property. Uh, his ultimate goal was to actually abolish the family, and this was all before Karl Marx. So, uh, you know, these ideas are not new. Um, we also, uh, after him, we had uh, Horace Mann come along. He became the first secretary of education for uh, any state in the union. He looked at the Prussian system. And incidentally, the Prussian system was modeled on the ideas of Robert Owen. And mm-hmm. then uh, from there, we have John Dewey, an actual communist, a guy who went there to the go. Soviet Union yep. and uh, wrote about what a great place it was. And so, yes, the communists have been instrumental in bringing us to where we are. But I think there's another element, too, and that is that the communists have not acted alone. Um, one of the most important books of the 20th century, I think, uh, from one of America's most important historians to have ever lived, uh, it was Anthony Sutton of Stanford University. He wrote the book Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution. And what he exposes in that book with government documents and corporate documents is that the Bolshevik Revolution was financed and uh, literally run from Wall Street, from the biggest banking houses in the United States. These were the wealthiest elites giving millions of dollars to Lenin and Trotsky for the purpose of bringing that great empire, Russia, under communist slavery. So when you look back through the history of communism, what you'll find is there are always super capitalists working side by side with them. And that's true even with Karl Marx, right? You had Frederick Engels. Um, you go yep. back to uh, the uh, the so-called Illuminati, founded by Adam Weishaupt. In, uh, in the 1770s, uh, again, you had very, very wealthy business people supporting this. Uh, you look at what happened in China. Again, uh, critical support from subversive elements of the U.S. establishment. Um, the building up of China was largely the result of American companies, corporations, and subversives transferring our technology and our know-how over there, and of course, our capital under the leadership of people like David Rockefeller and Henry Kissinger. So at every step of the way, the communists have been aided and abetted by the capitalistic elites. And uh, I think that's critical to understanding the mess that we're in, Gary. Alex, you've been talking about this for years. I actually got into this 
around 2015 when I lost my job and got involved with a friend of mine, Curtis Bowers, who I'm sure you know his two movies, Agenda Grinding America Down and Agenda Two Masters of Deceit, talking about all of this. I tried to help him promote and distribute the film. There are so many others, Trevor, Trevor Loudon, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. He's been on several times. This has been talked about for decades. Why aren't people catching on or are they? They send their kids to these universities at 40, 50, $60,000 a year, and the kids come back at the calling them a racist and, and telling them, I hate the country, I hate you, this, that, and the other thing. Why Are people starting to get it? Or if not, why? Because there are loud voices out there, and they should be able to look and see, hey, they're calling themselves progressives. What more do you need? Yep. Well, uh, you know, I think in, in one sense, Americans are waking up to this. Uh, I think there is almost a universal sense now, except among you know the, the Kool-Aid drinking zombies still tuning into CNN. And that is a, a very small fringe minority. I think at prime time, CNN now has like something like 750,000 viewers. Um, you know, it's not nothing, but it's, it's certainly not significant. Ancient Aliens, I think, gets twice that. <laughs> so, um, you know, CNN is a joke. But there are still some people who buy into this. But I think for the most part, Americans have woken up to the fact that we're being lied to. Now, they may not understand the ins and outs of all of this and what the agenda is and how uh, the deception operates, but they understand they're being deceived by the media elites. They understand they're being lied to by the politicians and the political class, uh, and they're uncomfortable with that. Uh, we see this especially, I think, with the, with the COVID narrative. People are just done with the propaganda and the lies. You know, they said, oh, you'll have your freedom back after two weeks. We're going to do two weeks to slow the spread. Oh, just kidding. Now we have to get 70% of you vaccinated. Oh, just kidding. Now we have to get 98% uh, of you double vaccinated and boosted, right? They just keep moving the goalposts. And I think people are finally realizing, hey, this is absurd. This is insane. Uh, now, the next step is to, to translate that understanding that we're being deceived into an understanding of reality and an understanding of what is the truth then. OK, so we're not getting the truth from the TV or from the political class. But what is the truth? And I think that's what needs to happen now. And I think that's why the, the big tech companies are so frantically trying to shut down everybody who exposes the lies and who shares the truth, uh, because they know that Americans right now are desperate for answers. They're hungry for the truth and they're actively searching for it. So I think as far as public awareness goes, we're in a good spot. Uh, very few people trust the media these days, and that's encouraging. And one of the things that I encourage people to do is you know, turn off the television and go out and talk to real people. Go talk to, to your plumber, to your mechanic, to your Uber driver, to uh, you know, the guy that carries bags at, at the airport. And what you'll find is that there is a massive awakening happening right now in America. Uh, and I'm very encouraged by that. It doesn't mean we're out of the woods yet. And certainly these totalitarians have more tricks up their sleeves. But the fact that people are waking up, I think, is very encouraging. And you really don't get people who wake up and then go back to sleep. Right. Uh, it's not that like you realize that CNN has been lying to you all, all these years. And then after six months of, of realizing that, you say, well, you know what, I think I'm going to go back to, to watching CNN. I mean, it's just it doesn't happen. Right? So all of the, the movement is happening toward the side of truth and freedom. And that's very encouraging. Boy, I certainly hope you're right about that. Now, along the lines of education, and this is a spinoff uh, onto education, which I consider right now the latest uh, big time threat that's infecting and infesting the educational system uh, is critical race theory. And I identify as a uh, follower of Jesus Christ, so I'm born again, but my skin is black. So I still am black. People would look at me as black. And when you, when you, get into this whole thing about critical race theory. It just seems to be the latest thing coming down the pike 
to, you know, poison the well to, it seems to me, to everything is set to try and collapse the Constitution so we can't get America to, you can't get people to overthrow by revolution. So let's make the founding fathers and all white people racist. So they, the system they set up, we can collapse that. Let's start all over again with our new socialist system. In the New American magazine, the August 9th issue, and people, I would encourage you, go to New American, uh, I think it's New American, the newamerican.com. This is a great magazine. Uh, please, uh, Alex is the senior editor. In the August 9th issue, his story was critical race theory, Marxist poison infecting America. And here was this quote, one of the key quotes that I took from this. During China's so-called cultural revolution, the mass murdering monster chairman Mao and his minions divided the children and the population as a whole into two broad categories, the black class and the red class. Please expound on what happened there in China and why they're looking to recreate the same thing here today. Well, thank you. And uh, and I do hope people will go read that article because this is one of the key issues of our time. But so I think we can understand a lot about what's going on in our country right now by looking at how communist revolutionaries have pursued these agendas in the past. And uh, no place was that more horrific than in China. Uh, the communist Chinese government has literally slaughtered more people than any government in all of human history. Uh, even if you don't count the unborn babies, uh, they're up at 100 million plus innocent people that they have slaughtered. And so uh, this is a good case study. And what Chairman Mao did uh, this is what Marxists have always done. In fact, Karl Marx explained this very clearly in his own writings. You need to have an oppressor and an oppressed class so that you can divide that society, turn it against itself, and then rebuild a totalitarian society from the ashes. And so, uh, you know, and, and Jesus Christ actually made this very clear. It's quoted uh, multiple times in the gospel. Jesus said mm -hmm. that a kingdom divided against itself cannot can stand. stand. Mm -hmm. That's right. In, in one of the verses, he says a kingdom divided against itself will be laid waste, will be brought to desolation. And so the Marxists have understood this. If you can get a society uh, warring against itself, then you can step in to the void there and take over. And so this is what Chairman Mao did. He, he created two categories, two identities, if you will. You have the oppressor identity and then the oppressed identity. Now, China was a very different society than America today, and so it looked different in China than it does in the United States. In Mao's system, uh, if you were part of the black classes, you were one of the oppressors, and that meant you were a landowner, a business owner, a, uh, a counter-revolutionary, a Christian, whatever it was, uh, that made you an oppressor. And you were born into a black class. You were born with this stain of uh, being in the black class and you could not wash it off. So they would, they would have these people stand up and do what they called self-criticism and they'd renounce their privilege. And you know they would beg for forgiveness that they were born in the black classes. Then you had the, uh, the red classes. Those were the oppressed classes. And those were the, the workers, the landless peasants, the uh, red guards, the, the revolutionaries, the communists. Um, and so by doing this, they divided Chinese society. They painted uh, everything that had come prior to that as horrible. And so they ran around tearing down statues. They ran around burning libraries, um, just basically getting rid of all of the history. And then in place of the old society, they rebuilt this monstrous new system of institutionalized slavery. And what we're seeing in America right now is almost an exact parallel of that. Uh, critical race theory is basically Marxist class conflict theory translated to the American context. So uh, if you tried to tell American workers, um, you know, even 100 years ago, this was true, that they were oppressed 
uh, they'd look at you like you had three heads. What do you mean I'm oppressed? You know, I'm making eighty thousand dollars a year. I've got four weeks vacation. I've got health care. I've got you know three thousand square foot house. I've got two nice cars in the driveway. I've got four color TVs. I really don't feel very oppressed. And you know, if I did feel oppressed, I'd just quit my job and go find another one. Right. Uh, so so people people were not buying that, and so they had to come up with. Uh, new fault lines for American society. Now, American society has, of course, historically had some uh, what, what are called racial issues. Now, as a Christian, I've, I've read my Bible, and I don't see God refer to people anywhere by their race. In fact, that the term race is never used in the Bible. There are no black people, red people, yellow people, white people. These are artificial human constructs. Uh, God divides people into two primary categories, the saved, who are you know, adopted children of God, kingdom of God, and then the lost, the perishing kingdom of man, kingdom of this world. Uh, so there are those two broad categories. And then he also divides people up into nations, tribes, and tongues. So these are categories and divisions that God has actually instituted. Now, America was a very special society in that virtually every culture throughout all of human history has practiced slavery. There's nothing unique about America in that sense. What is unique about America is that our founding fathers studied their Bibles and they said, wait a minute here, uh, God created us all equally and uh, God gave us rights. And so uh, even the people who wrote those words had in mind uh, eventually abolishing slavery, really for the first time in human history. And I tell people, Americans have a lot to be proud of. We are mm -hmm. the first people in the history of humanity to actually say, no, we're, we're going to abolish slavery. That's wrong. It's unbiblical. And we're not going to do that. And people say, no, well, William Wilberforce and the, and the British Parliament did that first. No, they didn't. Uh, many of our states had actually abolished slavery long before William Wilberforce and the British Parliament so what our founding fathers did was they set in motion uh, a train that would become unstoppable, whereby eventually, you know, by the time we live today, slavery would be unacceptable worldwide. Now, it took a long time for that to catch on. Uh, in the Arabian Peninsula, slavery was still legal 50 years ago. Uh, in Mauritania, an African country, slavery was still uh, was not criminalized until 2007, believe it or not. And people are shocked when they hear this. They, they don't realize that because uh, they're being brainwashed in the schools, that uh, America is unique in the sense that we stopped this, unlike every other culture and society in human history. But so they said, well, hey, America has these racial issues in the past, so let's use that as the key fault line. That's where critical race theory came from. And now they've added new categories. So now what they do is they'll go into the public schools and they'll teach the little kindergarten children, hey, if your ancestors came from Europe, if you're white, if you don't have enough uh, melanin in your skin, then you're automatically an evil, horrible, rotten oppressor. And all the problems that all the people in this country are facing are because of you. And, you know, this little six-year-old kid thinking, oh, my goodness, I don't want that. Right? And then they give them an out. They say, but, you know, you don't have to be part of the oppressed. Because if you're white, you could also be part of the oppressed class if maybe, say, you, you know, I didn't identify with the gender that that they assigned you at birth, or maybe you feel like a homosexual, or, you know, they say, oh, well, uh, okay, I guess I don't identify with the gender I was assigned at birth. So they're building the same kind of system of identities, oppressor and oppressed. Um, you know, in, in our modern context in America, the oppressor class would be, of course, people whose ancestors came from Europe, people who are heterosexual, people who are what these lunatics call cisgendered. In other words, you, you recognize that you're either a man or a woman, and God made you that way, and there's no changing it. Um, so these are all the oppressors. The oppressed would be then uh, anybody whose ancestors came from somewhere other than Europe, uh, anybody who uh, is a gender queer or transgender or a homosexual or, uh, you know, all these different categories, not a native English speaker. And so they are doing exactly what Chairman Mao did, just adapted to the American context. And the purpose is the same 
to tear down society, to tear down the existing institutions so that a totalitarian society can be rebuilt in its place. And that's kind of the, the short version of it. But I do hope people will go to the New American and read that broader article because uh, it's critical that we understand what these people are doing to our society. Um, just like the communists used to say in the days of the students for a democratic society, uh, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. And so we need to understand this this race mongering that they're trying to foist on us, just like with the climate change activism, all of it. Right. The issue is not racial justice. The issue is not climate justice. The issue is not um, you know global warming or, or, or whatever. Uh, the issue is always the revolution. And to the extent that stirring up racial race mongering or climate change hysteria advances the revolution. Great. They'll use it to the extent that it doesn't. Hey, throw it out the window. We don't need it anymore. So I think that's what we're dealing with, Gary. Right. I, I hear you, Alex. And please tell that's one of the sayings I use a lot about uh, the revolution. It's never about the issues. It's always about the revolution. And you you nailed it on the Bible. Race is in the Bible. But the only t- reference to race in the Bible is to run the race. The Apostle Paul that's uh, right. Finish the race. It, it has nothing to do with races. It has to I've run the good race. I finished the race. That's the only reference that God has. And people if you haven't read your Bible, to your surprise, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about education. What the Bible says about education is raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. That's what the education God is more concerned about, that you raise them to know him and to understand what he's about since he created all truth. So if you don't raise your kids in the ways of the Lord and you have them raised at Harvard, you know, and they don't know the ways of the Lord, ways of the Lord. This is why you end up with this craziness. And by the way, since you started on the revolution, please tell people what the revolution is, because we're always talking about, well, it's never about the issues. It's always about the revolution. Please explain to them what the end game of the revolution is. Well, thank you. And I couldn't agree more with you about education, too. I mean, you just hit the nail on the head in terms of what God says about education. Uh, He does not give us detailed instructions about, well, you need 18 science credits and 32 math credits, right? There's none of that in the Bible, but we do have some basic outlines. We know that parents are supposed to be directing this. We know that uh, parents will be held accountable for it. We also know what the basics of an education looks like. God tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, Jesus Christ tells us twice in the Gospels that you're either with me or you're against me. And so I tell people, you're sending these children to institutions that you know are godless. Are they with Christ or against Christ? Those are the two options. I tell, uh, are they learning about the fear of the Lord? If not, they're not getting any knowledge and they're not getting any wisdom. Uh, if you believe the Bible, you 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 must understand what you're putting your children into. Now, as far as the revolution goes, Gary, uh, the ultimate objective of the revolution is institutionalized slavery. It is a complete totalitarian society. Uh, That's always been the goal of the revolution. Now, they always turn everything upside down. So they say the goal of revolution is liberation. And by liberation, they mean liberation from free markets. They mean liberation from what they consider the oppression of the family, uh, liberation from what they consider to be the oppression of private property. So the, the simplest way to understand the revolution is it is the exact opposite of what God prescribes as a moral code for people to live. So God uh, has given us very, very clear instructions about how we are to live and what he views as right and wrong. 
uh, and I can give you some very clear examples. Right in the beginning, God tells us that uh, we should be fruitful and multiply. So God ordains marriage. God ordains man and woman as the foundation of that marriage, and then they are to bring children into the world and then raise them up. So uh, that's thing one, right? You find that right in the beginning in the book of Genesis. So what do these Marxists want to do? They want to, in the words of Karl Marx, abolish the nuclear family. Uh, that's what they're teaching the kids in school today with the Black Lives Matter curriculum. One of the key goals, and they say it right there, is to disrupt the nuclear family. Uh, God also says, thou shalt not steal. Um, and he doesn't make an exception for if you have a revolution and you think the wealth is uh, improperly distributed, then, uh, you know, then you can steal as long as you redistribute it according to the wishes of the commissar. Right? There, there's no asterisk there. God just said, don't steal. Uh, a God said, don't envy. And yet envy is the tool of the revolutionary, right? The revolutionary says, hey, look, that guy there, he's got a bigger house than you, right? He, he makes more money than you. You know, that, that's not fair. You're, you're just as useful as he is. Shouldn't you be living in a big house like that? So they use envy. They use this uh, resentment of other people's uh, wealth and, and success and things like that to try to stir up animosity and weaponize people. Uh, of course, God said, thou shalt not murder. And yet all the revolution have used murder and terror as their primary weapon. Even going back to Karl Marx, Karl Marx was an open advocate of genocide, of, in, of the extermination of entire people groups. Uh, he viewed capitalism as uh, the phase that comes before socialism. And he looked around Europe and he said, man, there, there's all these people groups, these all, these all these nations that haven't even reached the capitalist stage. And look at those backward Scottish Highlanders. Look at, look at those Slavs, right? I mean, they, they haven't even reached capitalism yet. We just need to wipe them off the face of the earth. Uh, so you have all of these things that God has specifically told us not to do, that they are sinful, that the Marxists view as the end goal. So when you wonder, you know, what is the end goal of the revolution? It is a complete and total repudiation of everything that God has ordained, all of the foundational principles of a free society, private property, nuclear family, uh, respect for uh, the rights of other individuals, for their right to life and liberty and property. Um, and you turn all that upside down and you, again, you reinstitutionalize slavery. You make the entire population slaves, except for the elites at the top of the party who then command and control this entire slave state. And we've seen it over and over again. We saw it in Cuba. We saw it in Vietnam. We saw it in Laos. We saw it in China. We saw it in the Soviet Union. We saw it uh, even in Germany under the National Socialist Party, the Nazi Party. You uh, basically remove the uh, liberty of individuals to choose how they want to direct their own lives, how they want to raise their own families, and you substitute their judgments and their opinions for yours, which, uh, again, you're treating people as if they were cattle, except uh, even more disposable than cattle, because killing them is not just uh, something that you do to earn money. It's something that you do to make the revolution possible. So that, that's what they mean with the term revolution. Now, every useful idiot who participates in this doesn't necessarily understand all of that in depth. Uh, you know, uh, Lenin used to call them useful idiots. They're the people who do the dirty work without recognizing that uh, ultimately they're going to be disposed of as well. But uh, that's where they're going with this, Gary. Yeah, Alex, you you laid that out from soup to nuts. And, and what just drives me crazy, if you just look at your history, as Lenin and Stalin, you know, the useful idiots, they think it's about their issues. No, it's about the revolution. And what drives me nuts when you talk to these college kids and these kids, they think they're going to be part of the ruling class, part of the elite. No, they're going to be the ones that are lined up like Mao did and shot. I, I, it's, it's amazing they don't understand this. 
that this is just beyond them. But, you know, you, you nailed it. That's what it's about. You know, I take questions because uh, I, on Facebook, I asked my Facebook friends uh, they want to give some questions. So we have a question for you. This is from Chris from here on Long Island, where I'm where I am. And his question is, does Alex agree that the Federal Reserve money dumping, he says, going back to the TARP program, is the real culprit of the inflation we are having now, not the supply chain excuse the White House states? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. And uh, one of the things that I do, and I'll be doing actually shortly after this interview, is I teach advanced economics to uh, some of America's brightest high school seniors, in fact, to uh, high school seniors around the world. And um, normally, inflation is uh, purely, at least almost purely, a function of an increase in the supply of money. So if you double the supply of money and you have the same amount of goods and services in the economy, then every unit of that money loses 50% of its value eventually. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight because it takes time for the price signals and the markets to understand what's going on. But uh, usually when you have inflation, that is what's happening is that the uh, the monetary authorities, typically a central bank, are increasing the supply of currency. And we do have that and we have had that in the United States relentlessly since the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913. They have uh, eaten away something like 98 percent of the uh, purchasing power of wow. a U.S. dollar through this uh, expansion over the last century. Now. Uh, we are now in, in America at this moment in time dealing with some additional complications that are further fueling this devaluation of our currency. Uh, one of those things is the, the disruptions in the supply chain. Um, you know, not only have they increased the supply of currency, they have also decreased the supply of goods and services that are available. Um, for example, throughout this entire pandemic, they were paying people more money to sit home and twiddle their thumbs on their couch than to go and actually work and produce goods and services. So what does that do? It further shrinks the supply of goods and services that are available. And so you have more money chasing less goods. Therefore, the uh, the inflation is even more significant. Now, there's one more complication that I think is going to be uh, adding to this uh, pressure in, in, in really an unprecedented way. And that is the fact that right now, at least, the, the U.S. dollar is still technically the global reserve currency. And that means that uh, si since the early 1970s, when the U.S. dollar was completely taken off the remnants of the gold standard, uh, we have had a, a fiat currency. It has value by decree. It wasn't it, you know, you couldn't trade it in for gold or for silver or for anything else. We had basically the petrodollar system where some of the major oil producing economies agreed that they would only accept U.S. dollars in exchange for that currency. And that system has held for about five decades. And that has enabled the monetary authorities in the United States, the Federal Reserve, which, by the way, is a private corporation, is actually a group of private corporations. Um, to export a lot of this inflation because there was this built-in structural demand around the world for U.S. dollars because international business was conducted in U.S. dollars. So if uh, one government wanted to buy oil from uh, another government or if one corporation wanted to buy uh, uh, produce from another corporation in another country, the U.S. dollar has typically been the currency in which those transactions are settled. Well, I think we are rapidly approaching a time when that system will break down and governments around the world will say, hey, we're done using this ridiculous U.S. dollar for our international transactions. Mm -hmm. We are going to instead trade in our own national currencies. And when that happens, 
the the structural demand for the U.S. dollar around the world that has always been so strong because of this global reserve currency status will disappear. You will have a massive flood of U.S. dollars coming into the United States, buying everything that's not nailed down, uh, real estate, uh, stocks, uh, goods and services, uh, intellectual property, technology, uh, and it will be absolutely catastrophic for the value of the dollar. So as far as, you know, the short answer to the question is typically uh, inflation is, it's not caused by, it is an expansion of the currency supply. Right now, we're in a very unique time in human history in that there's also this other additional pressure in terms of a reduction in the supply of goods and services that are available for purchase with that increased supply of money. And also now with this uh, breaking down of the dollar as the global reserve currency, um, I think we're going to see catastrophic devaluation in the U.S. dollar beyond what we've seen already in the years ahead. Scary stuff. Wake up, people. See, we have to wake up. This is why I bring guests like Alex Newman on the show, because he's giving you mega doses of truth, and we still have time to correct these problems. Alex, are you aware? Do you know what drop the mic is? Drop the mic. Uh, Drop the mic. Well, there's entertainers. They'll just say something, and it's just that's it. They just drop the mic and walk off the stage, or they just drop the mic. Oh, okay. Yep. Mic drop. Drop the mic. Mic drop. I'm going to give you a mic drop. I'm going to say one word and you can freestyle. You ready? I'm going to say one word and drop the mic and just sit back and listen. And the word as um, uh, my friend Don Nguyen and Donna Fiducia, we've had fun saying this word and, and President Trump because we'd always do it the way President Trump would say it. So the word is China. <laughs> China. All right. Well, I can, I can pick up there and I can speak on China for weeks and weeks. Um, well, hold on. Before you go, before you do that, uh, you know, you're welcome to come back because we're not going to be able to get to the deep state and completely on China. So I want you back. I hope you'll come back because we got to get into the deep state. But and we got it. We can get deep into China. But with the few minutes you have left, I drop the mic. Go wherever you want to go. Excellent. Well, I'd, I'd be honored to come back on. Thank you so much, Gary. I appreciate it. And uh, in the few minutes that we have left on China, you know, there's several things that I want to point out about China. First of all, uh, yes, China is uh, an emerging global superpower, if not the emerging global superpower. But that was not an organic development. That was a process that was aided and abetted at every step of the way, including the installing of communists into power in China uh, by American elites. Um, I, I'm talking about wow. on foreign relations and there subversives go. there. Um, for people who want to get a, do a real deep dive into that subject, there's a phenomenal book written by Robert Welch called Again, May God Forgive Us. And he shows you, he gives you the names, and he shows you that it was the deliberate policy of subversives within the U.S. government, people like George Marshall, who was Secretary of Defense and also Secretary of State uh, during that era, um, to betray our ally, Chiang Kai-shek, who fought side by side with us in World War II against the uh, Japanese Empire. Uh, actually, my dad, my, uh, my granddad was uh, fighting against the Japanese in World War II, so he was fighting alongside uh, Chiang Kai-shek's men. And um, they deliberately stabbed him in the back. They put an arms embargo on him. Meanwhile, they, they transferred all the weapons, the Japanese stockpiles of weapons and supplies that were in Manchuria to Joseph Stalin, even though he played virtually no role in defeating Japan. And then Stalin promptly transferred all of that to Chairman Mao and his mass murdering butchers. Um, then from there, 
as China was able, as the communists were able to solidify their control over China, the same Western globalists and subversives aided and abetted the building up of China in terms of its economy, in terms of its military might. Um, and there are some very concrete and, and obvious, irrefutable examples that you can point to in this process that nobody can can speak against because it's there in the public record. I'll give you a, a clear example. In 1973, David Rockefeller had just returned from communist China. David Rockefeller was the chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations for many, many years, uh, one of the most influential people on planet Earth. And he went over to China before regular Americans were allowed to go to China. And he came back and he wrote a piece in the New York Times. It was published in August of 1973. You can still find it on their website called uh, From a China Traveler. And he talked about this uh, trip to China. And he said the social experiment in China under the leadership of Chairman Mao is one of the most important and successful in all of human history. Um, and so what happened is American corporations started pumping capital uh, technology, know-how into China under the guise of this obviously fraudulent uh, Sino-Soviet split. They said, oh, well, we're gonna, we have to uh, help China to, to keep them from being embraced by the Soviets. I mean, what a ludicrous idea. Anybody with two brain cells to rub together would have been able to tell you that that was a fraud. In fact, we had many um, defectors from the Soviet Union telling us that was a fraud, people like Anatoly Golitschin. Um, they continued building up communist China into the superpower that it is today. And now we have people like George Soros saying publicly that China has a better functioning government than the United States, saying that China should own the new world order in the same way that the United States owned the old world order. And so if you want to get a taste of what this little new world order these globalists are always talking about is going to look like, um, you need to look at China because China is essentially the model society that they want to impose on the planet. Um, it is a technocratic system. It's not even really a, a communist or Marxist system anymore. It is a technocratic totalitarian system where dissent is ruthlessly suppressed, where decisions are made uh, by the elites um, under the guise of the greater good, and where everybody is given a social credit score to determine how compliant they are. Uh, if you're a good slave and you do what you're told and you don't ask questions and you don't have any friends that ask questions, you can get yourself a good credit score. And that means you can travel and you can have a good job and you can get a good education and you can live a pretty decent life. If you ask questions or if you know people who ask questions or if you don't believe that a totalitarian society is the best way to do things, then you will get a low credit score and then you're not able to travel. You're not able to get a good job. You're not able to leave the country. You're not able to get your child uh, a proper education. So uh, it's, it's an incredibly Orwellian system. It's an incredibly totalitarian system. And that is the system that they want for the whole world. So uh, in the years ahead, we're going to see, I think, a continued strengthening of communist China. We may even see the official collapse of the Communist Party, only because the tyranny has now been so deeply ingrained into the minds uh, and the behaviors of the people there that they can almost dispense with the dictatorship and just keep uh, kind of the dictatorship behind a, a soft velvet glove. But uh, that's where they're going with this. Uh, the United States is being supplanted as the um, lone superpower on the planet. They're building what they call a multipolar world order. And the one world system that they want to build is going to look very much like the Chinese system if the American people don't uh, effectively resist this. And I think that is, you know, other than divine intervention, that is really the last obstacle is the fact that there are hundreds of millions of Americans who still love liberty, who still are heavily armed, who still believe in the principles that our nation was founded on. And so um, that's going to be the next big battle. And I think people are finally starting to wake up to that. But uh, we've got a long way to go. So.
Yeah, I hear you. So we, we'll leave the people on the on not hanging on that cliff, but we'll make this like a little bit of a cliffhanger and we'll leave it right there. And, you know, when you have time to come back, we'll talk more about China, the deep state and other things, because you're, you're so well versed on so much about uh, world politics and global politics. And we'll even get into why you having lived or studied in eight countries and speak all different types of languages. So uh, you have the knowledge to compare what's going on in places like Sweden and Switzerland and Spain and Brazil, where you have lived or studied as to the United States, their government against ours. And and boy, you know, you, you just dropped the mega doses of knowledge and we thank you very much. Uh, Alex, please tell people how they can reach you and, and your publications and anything you'd like to promote. Well, I want to thank you, first of all, Gary, for having me on the program. It's uh, wonderful to be with you. Thank you. It's an honor. And I would love to come back honor at for some me. point. Yeah. Um, it, the, the best place to find uh, my work is at thenewamerican.com. I'm senior editor at The New American. I do uh, a couple of shows there. I do uh, Behind the Deep State. I also do uh, Conversations That Matter. And uh, people can find those all at thenewamerican.com. If people aren't subscribed yet to the print magazine, I would encourage them to do that. Uh, I've also got my own personal website. It's libertysentinel.org. Um, do a lot of different things uh, in my spare time. I, I, I help people get their kids out of public schools. Um, I also write for a variety of different publications when I have some time, including you know the Epic Times, World Net Daily, things like that. But uh, yeah, I hope people will go to thenewamerican.com, get subscribed to the daily emails. And definitely, if you're not subscribed yet to the print magazine, um, best source of information that you need that is reliable, uh, in my opinion, that's out there. And people can find that all at thenewamerican.com. And uh, thanks again for having me, Gary. Really appreciate it. You are welcome. I highly recommend. I've, I've been a subscriber to The New American for nearly three years now. I get a lot of information out of that that is used on the show because it's it's constitutionally correct and and you you, you and your and the writers do a, a great job of telling us what the mainstream media wouldn't want us to know. So once again, thank you very much. God bless you and your family. Thank you, sir. God bless you as well. And I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks so much, Gary. You are welcome. There you have it, Alex Newman. And boy, he tells it like it is and pulls no punches. And you can check what he has to say, you know, we I encourage you to go and look it up because uh, you'll find out he is spot on, Mr. Alex Newman. I want to thank my guest, Alex Newman, for providing his keen insight on critical issues confronting us today. I'm really looking forward to Alex returning to complete what he started. There's so much more to get into as Alex barely touched the tip of the iceberg on China, and we've definitely got to take a high dive into the deep state, among other issues critical to the survival of our nation. This podcast is available for download at radioinfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.